This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I want to get to this train derailment. This doesn't happen terribly often, but I have to start with Canada saying no. Not to fun, not to drugs. Um, You should do that. But Toronto's not getting any more money for things that absolutely appear to have happened before the federal government invited people to come to Toronto. They could potentially make that case. It felt like the, uh, the the vault opened last week. The federal government said, here, we understand you're having a refugee crisis. You can't house all the refugees landing in Toronto. There's people sleeping on pavements. Nice weather. The outdoors is certainly wonderful. But um, that's not, if you tell people to come to a country, if you tell people you're a sanctuary country, sanctuary city, we got to do better um, than people peeing in alleyways and sleeping on hot pavement in the daytime or at night. That's not what they came here for. They apparently came here to work and start new lives. Again, it just seems terribly difficult to be organized about this. How's that $97 million going to be spent? I don't know. I don't know how many refugees that handles. Isn't housing already kind of in crisis for established Canadian citizens. So what will $97 million do in terms of the short term, in terms of the long term? I don't know the answers for that, but I do know this. So many people told me that Olivia Chow would struggle in one context. She'd make people feel good. She'd lift people up. She seems like a warm, uh, kind, giving person. But when it comes to actually rubber meeting the road, being able to you know pivot in that batter's box and 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 turn on a home run pitch and take it over the right field fence in terms of getting money from the provincial government to the federal government, she's never done those asks. She can put a team together of people that have, but she hasn't. That's indisputable. That's undeniable. Here's Olivia Chow last week saying, and this is a good idea that she wanted to have a, like a hub set up at Pearson Airport for immigrants to come in. So that they could sort of get set up, registered, established, uh, people fleeing tyranny and persecution in other countries. I understood why she wanted it, but she desperately needed the help of the federal government. Now we don't even know if this is going to happen. Here's what she said last week. We need the federal government to step up and help us make that happen. A lot of the immigrant service agencies said, we're ready. This is the best model. It's called first contact. Let's do this. And we are, be- we are immediately going to put that in place. And we are asking the federal government to assist us because they have the tents. We don't. Uh, or, or the structure. Okay. So do- is this going to still happen? Is this still a thing? Or does the federal government saying, sorry, no more money whatsoever, which is in essence what Christian Freeland said yesterday. She sent off a letter, fired it off to Chow's office yesterday after the mayor and Premier Doug Ford last week were in concert. People were like, look, Chow and Ford are working together. He said she'd be an unmitigated disaster. And now they're writing letters together. How, how adorable. Well, they demanded Ottawa foot most of the bill to resolve a crisis in refugee housing. But if the federal government isn't going to help, who will? Christian Freeland saying this ends up being the domain of the of of the provincial government and the provincial government's in good shape. That's the part of the question. Again, Freeland, how she presents, how she's front facing. 
I I don't have a ton of time for it. It's exhausting to me. But that's, you, you know, maybe Toronto should identify as uh, the country of Ukraine and they'd get all the money they wanted. And I'm not saying we shouldn't fund Ukraine. Don't, that's a, that'd be a misrepresentation of what I'm saying. But it looks like the biggest city in the world, in the country rather, is teetering on the brink and the federal government saying, sort it yourself. You haven't exhausted every single option. She might be right about that. We haven't exhausted every single option to raise money. We haven't exhausted every single option to think, are we spending money on this when we could spend it on that? None of those things have transpired yet. All right, we got to get to this Scarborough RT train car derailing. It happened about 7 o'clock yesterday. Bottom lining it, five people had to go to hospital. 44 people had to go uh, and be evacuated. But this doesn't happen terribly often. Now, is that a feather in the cap of the TTC that it doesn't happen terribly often? Or is it basically a line and, and a route that was going to be decommissioned because it doesn't work very well anymore and it's rickety and you bounce around in the cars anyway. That's the account of anybody who's ridden on these cars in the last few years. It's been in existence 10 years longer than it was supposed to be. Here's TTC acting fire chief Jim Jessup on what he saw yesterday. No life-threatening or critical injuries. Five people have been transported with minor injuries and Toronto Fire Services has stabilized the scene. We train continually uh, both for above ground and underground incidents involving, um, you know, any type of transportation. So we are well prepared to deal with this. Okay, pretty scary stuff, to be honest. I've never been on, I've been on delays. I've been on things where you get jostled a little bit. I can't imagine being on, the, you're on the last car on a southbound train near Ellesmere Station and you get decoupled, like right out of the movies. And you don't know what's going to happen when that decoupling happens, but you see it and you'd feel it. This happened right before seven o'clock. Here's TTC chair, uh, CEO, rather, Rick Leary on what happens next. Safety is paramount in all that we do at the TTC. It's never sacrificed. So we're taking that approach right now. Okay, fair enough. Well, more on Rick Leary a little bit later on in the show. And lastly, here's uh, a nearby resident on what this SRT derailment sounded like. You know how you hear a car squeal brakes or someone's driving fast in your neighborhood? Sometimes you can hear the street racing at night. Listen to this description of a nearby resident in Scarborough. I thought it was a thunder or something like that. And then I heard something like, right? And uh, I, I felt the ground shake a little bit. Okay, so this will be a story a good chunk of the morning, one we didn't expect around dinner time last night or certainly late afternoon. It happened after John Oakley was off the air, but I'm sure every show will end up being, uh, this will be a conversation point uh, today for sure. Uh, and we'll see whether there's fingers of blame pointed here, there, and everywhere um, because transit in Scarborough has been an issue for a long time. Shiva Siddiqui, of course, our extraordinary producer, is with us. And I, uh, you know, I, I've never been on, a, had a moment like this really at the airport, in a subway car, in like getting decoupled when you're in a, uh, an above ground train car would be pretty frightening. It's terrifying. When I read this, I'm, I had to read it again. I had to read it mm -hmm. twice because there's something that I'm not understanding. How does this even happen? Uh, and this, so the the Scarborough RT is going to be decommissioned on November 23rd of this year. I don't know if they just stopped, uh, I don't know, taking care of it, overseeing it. I don't know how this happens. And then where it stopped just before, I believe it was Ellesmere Station. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the rear car separated from the rest of them, which in itself is very scary. So five people had to go to hospital. There were about 45 people on the train at the time. And they had to walk off of the train tracks where, where it uh, derailed and walk over to Ellesmere Station. I'm thinking, my first thought was, what if someone like my dad, I'm sure there were elderly people on there. My dad would not have been able to make that walk. 
Yeah, there's a rickety. Uh, I'm seeing the car. Um, actually, it's a tweet from uh, Councilor Michael Thompson. This is his area. And I'm seeing a rickety like staircase that's brought up to the train. Ugh. And you kind of got to walk down it like right. On, you're walking onto the track. So I assume they de-electrify the tracks. You walk on the tracks and you get to safety at this point in time. You do have to think like, are there people that missed work? Where there'll be people that of will be off work for a week. Are there going to be lawsuits about this for uh, people just feeling a little, little bit of uh, PTSD given how. You might think the car was about to. I would think the car would probably rock back and forth, and you'd be like, "Is this thing going to flip?" Yes. So there's yeah. that also. Yes, and so Ellesmere Station is closed. There are about 20 shuttle buses that are running between Kennedy and McCowan stations. Uh, but I just think you're right describing that. That it's terrifying. There are going to be after effects of this. I'm really getting fed up with public tra- public transit in our city. If mm. it's not one thing, every week there is something that honestly shocks me. Yeah. I'm still shocked. So what else is left? I don't know. And there's, yeah, th- this is going to come down to finger pointing for poor maintenance. This is going to come down to lousy inspection. And there will be fingers pointed, I think, at a lot of members of city council who uh, who didn't push money in when the chance was there to uh, not maybe not replace it but certainly to upgrade it over the last few years. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Sheba City, he's got kids in overnight camp. When do you get them back, Friday or Saturday morning? They come back on Saturday. Okay. So, My two older ones. It's, the house is very quiet. Anybody with two kids, I never want to hear you complain because I have two kids at home and it's a walk in the park right now. <laughs> <laughs> they are younger kids, right? Ooh, my younger two? Yeah. yeah. Which makes it more work. Eh, no, but wait till I get wait till they're up all night and you hear microwaves <laughs> going off at eleven forty five PM and oven doors being slammed. It looks like a it looks like a dinner party every morning. I walk down the stairs. I I'm I, and I always say to myself, damn it, I should have made my own coffee and I didn't. And it's four in the morning, and it looks like a dinner party of eight happened after my wife and I went to bed. Oh, really? It's so you bad, but man. that's you guys are setting that standard. You're right, which is low. Do you use your dishwasher? Yeah. So all they need to do is rinse and load. That's all they need to do. I I know, but there's pots, and they leave like pots and strainers for pasta (laughs) just sitting there. We all did it. We all did it. Empty boxes of craft dinner that could be recycled. They're they're getting up tomorrow to them. This morning's recycle and uh, lawn and leaf bag day, and I left a note. Uh, for I don't usually leave a note. I left a note for Mrs. Brady. I'm like, it's basically like, make them do it. That's it. Yeah, good. I underlined some key words in there. <laughs> I didn't even put any swear words in the middle of that of the phrase, make them do it. Okay. But I felt like it, so they'd best do it. I'll get this out of the way really quick. Um, yes, I texted you yesterday from uh, the Drive drive Safe. That's not the name of it. Drive Test location. The center. In Oshawa, Ontario. Yes. Okay. Which What's, is a C... Not for yourself. You know, nobody reported your driving. Let's not, clarify not yet. that. Okay. Um, no. And uh, my 17-year-old son was taking his in-car G2 driver's test. And I'm telling you, he pulls away with the instructor. First of all, we pulled up uh, to Oshawa. It's sunny. The second we pull in, dark clouds come over and it starts raining. And <laughs> no. I'm like, oh, God, does he even know how to use the wipers? Is the back wiper going to be going nonstop? Well, the front... Like, I don't know what he knows. And uh, and so I said, test your wiper, sit here. Then he had his foot on the brake waiting for the instructor. Like, I'm out of the car by this point because you can't have parents hanging around. Yeah. You can't. I, like, that. at that point, I don't know him. I've never seen that child in my life if, uh, if I get asked by a drive test instructor. And then, but I texted him and I go, 
get your foot off the brake. It looks like the car is on. Like I'm just but worried about. So you're t- he's. That's even worse if the instructor sees him looking at his phone, checking a text message while he's in the driver's seat. I said that right away because I left the car. There's all these (laughs) driving instructors. By the way, every driving instructor, I know I want to start my own driving school. Shiva, every one of them chain smokes cigarettes like you can't believe. I've never seen anything (laughs) like it. You're right. I wonder why that is. They all do. I'm like, how? I wouldn't want my kid just sitting there and getting out of the... uh, getting out after the in-car test and smelling like like he just had six Marlboro lights or something. I don't know. Or do more. Okay, well, Craven tell us what a. happened. You're leaving us hanging here. Well, it's a, like I texted you and I'm like, I'm about to puke. I watched him drive away with the instructor in the front seat and I was about to throw up. Nerve-wracking. It, it, it was very nerve-wracking. Not because he's, my little boy's growing up. I'm just like, don't flunk. Don't <laughs> do something ridiculous. Don't not. And he got back after like eight minutes. Oh, really? And he had passed the test. The guy said he'd made two mistakes, including not signaling, leaving the parking lot of the drive test. (laughs) Oh, no. Gord, like right away. They should be starting to write stuff down. Uh, See, I don't (laughs) say signaling to get out of the parking lot. You're supposed to do that. I know you're supposed to do that. It's kind of the law. But you're supposed, it's there to signal other drivers if there's no other driver there. But it's not meant to be an option. It's not meant to be. Look how courteous he is. He's telling me he's turning left. And when you're in a driver's test, you have to exaggerate every single thing you do. Looking at the rear view mirror, looking at your side mirrors. I know somebody who actually verbally said it. I'm looking at my rear view mirror right now. I'm looking at my side mirrors right now. They just talked their way through the entire Well, they uh, wanted test. The, the tester to know that they were actually following the rules. Yeah. So. Well, I, he, I almost he, failed, too. I got two mistakes with my, my test. Makes I, had, I had a guy allow me another chance to back into the parking lot and oh. I and I and because I got it wrong the first time and I was sure that I'd That flunked. was me, too. Reversing. Yeah. Reverse parking, right? Yeah. I yeah, was better at parallel parking than reverse parking. Mm. I almost still am. Yeah, me too. Um, and it well, feels- no, we have cameras now in cars. It's easy to reverse. Yeah, them. I wondered. It's great yeah. that you said that because I did wonder, could they tell you to tell during a test, could they tell you to shut the camera off if your car has that option? And I didn't know how to do that. We tried to do that Sunday. We tried to shut the camera off and I didn't know how. I don't think it's an option to turn I don't it know off. Because uh, I thought it comes on as soon as you put it in reverse, the camera comes it on. It does. Right. But my dad, oh. when he did his test, which was years ago, uh, they said you're not allowed to use your cameras. And he was just like, oh, crap. <laughs> I don't know if they are or not. Anyway, he, uh, yeah, so I, the G2 is a weird one, too, because there's, you can't drive, you can drive anywhere uh, day or night alone, but you can't, what can't you do? You can't go on the 401. You can't go on a 400 series highway. Your blood alcohol has to be zero. You, you can't, there's restrictions between midnight and 5 a.m. You're permitted just one passenger in the car. Under the age of 20 after between midnight and 5 a.m. I never would have known this. And I'm not even going to remember that I said this in about an hour. So he was driving his brother. So congratulations to him. Yeah. That is freedom right there. You're never going to see him again. No. And there goes your car every night. (laughs) Yeah. The third car discussion. It took an hour and a half. He's drunk on power after getting the uh, (laughs) getting the license. And he's like discussing third cars now. I'm like, hold it. We're trying to figure out how we're paying university tuition next year. And he's driving together. his brother around. They're going to have a blast. Yeah. Well, two. he's going to ask his brother for gas money, and his brother doesn't have a job yet. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, when we were driving you around for decades, we wouldn't ask you for gas money, even <laughs> when you had a job. Um, I want let's let's get real quick to these uh, two minutes here on this car theft. Um, I don't know how to not imply that somebody must know something. This just doesn't seem like a random car theft, Sheba. Um, 
they are looking for more than $1 million worth of luxury vehicles, which is only like four cars. But the uh, the first, the, you know, the primary vehicle is a 2021 Rolls-Royce Dawn. So if you see it driving around with no license plate, that, that just at the start, you know, before all the fancy options, it only starts at $359,000. Wow. And it's gone. It's missing from this dealership. So this happened on Saturday uh, off the Don Valley Parkway at Dundas and Carroll Street. Uh, this was a luxury dealership, and three guys walked in, stole the, a 2021 Rolls-Royce Dawn, uh, a Bentley, a 2022 Bentley Bentega. Is that what I'm saying it right? I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which runs anywhere from 234000 to $313,000. And then finally, <laughs> a 2020 Rolls-Royce Cullinan. Am I saying that right as I well? I think it's... Cu- yeah, I think you are. I Cullinan. think it's Cullinan. Oh, and it's got... Yeah, they all have their license plates on them. Oh, and good. that starts at uh, upwards of $335,000. Uh, and it could go up up to hundred. Sorry, $550,000. Uh, and these guys... So I looked into this. How do you walk into a dealership, especially with this amount of vehicles, and... And steal a vehicle, and why aren't more people doing this? Like they didn't. It doesn't look like they didn't drive a car through a window. Remember the story last year around Christmas with a car yes. driving through um, yes. Vaughn Mills in the mall. Like yes, nothing like this was, was in, happening. That they just took like them a joyride. Yeah, these guys just took these right off the lot. They're all wearing um, like thin uh, white or light blue surgical masks, so that none of them. Well, I mean, it's it, you we, know you can't be too careful. Pe- yeah, it's COVID. They don't yeah, want right. COVID while they don't. They're, they're not going to give each other uh, COVID nineteen <laughs> while stealing Rolls Royce. But Royces. it's not easy to do this. So I understand how you started this segment off implying something because um, they've got fences, gates, dirty locks, <laughs> key cards, key security. Fobs are locked up at night when the when the premises is closed. It, it's hard to get. It's really difficult to steal a luxury car. I think so. It is. It is. I, I, I've looked into this. I did the research on this. It's You can't just walk in and do that. So it, there are a lot of questions here that, you know, I have regarding how this was even possible. And where, like, I all I want to know, where are the cars right now? Are they in a box? Oh, they must uh, be. On an ocean liner? Absolutely they are. They're, They're gone. gone. They're gone. You don't keep these around in a warehouse in Toronto somewhere. I don't know. Do you do the Cameron and Ferris thing and just drive it around the city and go, no, like go to art galleries level. and baseball games? No. <laughs> not at this That's level. your dad's fancy car, not a dealership. <laughs> no. Oh, Rolls Royces are Rolls Royces, though. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. One thing that could take housing prices down, one of a few things, is supply. And there's June of this year municipal housing data out in terms of the start. Uh, joining us to discuss, he's fantastic with the numbers and telling us what it all means, uh, is the founding director of Place Center. He's also a university professor as well. He is Mike Moffat. Mike, it's great to have you back on Toronto today. Thanks for making the time. Well, thanks for having me. These numbers look good. Like if you're what if people in Toronto proper will start there are wondering, is more housing being built? Are we getting um, into a better place than we were 12 months ago, 13, certainly 18 months ago. The housing start numbers do tell us something good is starting to happen, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the June numbers are particularly strong. Uh, we have uh, 29 cities across uh, Ontario that uh, need to have municipal housing targets, so have how many housing starts they, they need each month. Combined, all those 29 cities, uh, it's just over 10,000 they need a month. We had about 8,600 last month. So we got about uh, 85, 86% of the way there. So it's a little bit misleading, again, because June is typically a good month for housing starts. But overall, I'd say this is is a good news story. There's been a lot of... uh, discussion in uh, in the building industry about how those higher interest rates are slowing down construction, but 
so far, uh, you know, the June numbers are looking pretty good. Yeah, I think people have been so hesitant um, lately about home renovations and whatnot. It does feel like every single thing, uh, whether it's food, whether it's travel, does end up costing more. So heaven, no- heaven knows construction should. Um, but but maybe <laughs> maybe that cost gets borne out in selling prices. I drove past condos being built in uh, in Ajax just the other day, starting in the high 800s. And I'm thinking, holy Moses, I feel like those would have been $600,000 places, judging from the size a couple of years ago. So right now, right now, there are building starts, Mike, but they're not necessarily shrinking prices. No, they're, they're not. Um, and, you know, completions are still lagging a little bit. So, you know, we do have shovels in the ground, but, uh, you know, all the start is, it just means that this foundation has been poured. It doesn't mean that ne- anybody can necessarily live there. And if we're talking about a high-rise apartment, you could be looking at four to six years between, uh, between a start and a completion. So overall, it's not necessarily starting to bring down prices, but uh, it, it's certainly a move in the right direction. One municipality that's building a lot more, and they've come under scrutiny for not building, and I think that's landed right on the doorstep of their current mayor and the Ontario Liberal leader candidate, Bonnie Crombie. Mississauga starting to build, but is it easy to look at this and go, it looks like a municipality that's hustling to play some catch-up just so when this fall, when people actually have to vote for the Ontario Liberal leader, she can denote. I mean, progress is still progress. Compliments there. But it looks like a lot of catch-up is being done after some really dismal numbers the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. In just the last few months. So, so Mississauga needs a thousand housing starts, according to the province, to you know, start to before, uh, uh, get affordability back. Last month, they had two, you know, not, not 200, not 2,000, two. So that got, that got a lot of headlines, and particularly as, you know, they're, she is running for, for OLP leader. This month, they had 637. So that's not quite 1,000, but it's a heck of a lot closer to 1,000 than, than two is. So overall, they do seem to be moving in the right direction. And there tends to be a lot of noise in this state, a lot of variability, because uh, this is looking at number of units. So if you have a, a high-rise apartment building that gets started one month, you know, you could have five, six, seven hundred units. And then the next month, if there's no starts, you could go back down to zero or in Mississauga's case, two last month. So there is a sort of lot of month to month jumping around. But overall, I, I think Mayor Crombie has to be quite pleased with this number, particularly given how much heat she took last month. It's uh, Mike Moffat joining us on Toronto Today. I know, you know, I, I would argue her main rival uh, for leadership, Nate Erskine-Smith, put a, a very ambitious plan together, released it in June. Uh, you know, again, I do think when it comes to um, younger voters, they're going to look at, at Nate's plan and go, this might be the difference between me owning and not. I think parents of people who are in their 20s or teens right now are going to look and say, I need to vote for somebody, whether it's a liberal, whether it's not a liberal, and say this is going to be the most massive issue. You must look at last election in the province, Mike, and go, where was this issue? It just wasn't even on the radar for Doug Ford, Stephen Del Duca, or Andrea Horvath, and now it feels like it's everything. It really does. And I think one of the challenges of last election is that basically all four parties had almost identical platforms uh, when it came to housing. So, you know, it was this discussion about how we, we need more housing um, and, uh, you know, committing to a 1.5 million target, but there wasn't much policy differentiation between the parties. 
I think that's starting to change. I think we're, we're going from the uh, discussion of like, we need to do something to here's what we actually need to do. And I, I, I'm hopeful uh, during the OLP uh, leadership race that, you know, we start to see more concrete ideas. Because I think you're absolutely right that it's not just younger people who are concerned about this. A lot of times it's, it's their parents. Uh, I have a friend of mine who's a federal member of parliament. He was telling me in the 2021 election that the people who are most upset about housing weren't the 20-somethings. It was the parents of the 20-somethings. They had a 25-year-old, you know, living in the on, on the couch in the basement who, you know, they would like to see uh, have their own place. So I think this is an important issue and, and not just for young people. Well, I always reference that the conversation feels like um, it's parents who did everything right along the way have built up a ton of equity in their home. So for them, maybe for them, um, paying their mortgage every month um, or what's left of it isn't necessarily a crisis, but the crisis comes when their son or daughter wants their own place. And then they look at each other and have these long conversations about, do we need to sell this house so our kids can actually afford their own houses? And that it's not supposed to be that way. It never worked that way for our parents. No, it didn't. And you, you have a lot of people who spent you know, 25 years paying off their mortgage and now their their kids are looking for a house and they're starting to take out their own home equity line of, of credits to, uh, to, to help their kids. So uh, there's a lot of frustration out there that go, you know, I, I've been working since the early 1990s to pay off this house. Now I got to go back in debt again to help my kids. So I do think there is a lot of frustration out there. Um, federally, I know you've been critical of, uh, of the housing minister and just, I think the connection, maybe not policy per se, but the connection, um, that the liberal party federally has had with first time home buyers, prospective home buyers. There's just seems to, it just seems like it's, it's like under the hood of a car and, and all the wires aren't in the right place and you've complimented. And I think fairly so. Pierre Pauly Everett for whatever else has been going on, whatever other distractions, whatever other, you know, uh, you know, rake stepping on the rake sideshow Bob moments that the conservative party and some of the members have had. Pierre is connecting with a younger generation about housing. Would a new housing minister um, shake things up? Would a new housing minister who connects with the public shake things up? Certainly that's got to be paramount in Justin Trudeau's mind tomorrow when he shakes up the cabinet. Yeah, it does sound like we're getting a new cabinet tomorrow morning that almost certainly has a new housing minister. I think it can shake things up, but I think there has to be some substance behind it. So first of all, they do need a better communicator. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the current housing minister has had trouble communicating the federal role, but the, there, there needs to be some substance there. The, the federal government says, OK, here is our five or 10 or 15 point plan uh, to create affordability, to create more supply, because right right now, you know, not much is happening at the federal level. And uh, I, I think the, the government's rightly getting called out on it. They may also want a housing minister that doesn't own uh, multiple rental properties as well. Like it's a, <laughs> right away. I, I look and I go, obviously, there's no law against uh, MPs owning property. Pierre Polyevra owns property that he rents out. But I don't know that your housing minister, it's almost like I want an education minister that's got a background in education and a health minister that's got a background in health. Maybe the housing minister should be free of those conflicts. Well, well, absolutely. Yeah, it would be, you know, if you had a, a, a higher education minister who was also a university prof who was negotiating, you know, labor contract, it, it's hard to be on both sides of the table. So mm. I would be absolutely shocked if the next housing minister 
uh, own rental property. I think the, the liberals realize that just the optics of that are very, very bad. Mm. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for the time today. I know I really want to have lots of conversations about international students, and you and I have talked about that and the problem with residents and rent and whatnot. And uh, it, it's uh, it, it's become quite a quite an industry, and I'm not sure a very good one. But let's have that conversation in August for sure. Thanks for the time this morning. Well, thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, great having Mike Moffat on. Always brings this stuff. And yeah, the, the numbers are actually quite good. Like, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by how Toronto happens to be building right now. And you should be as well. Pickering's building well. Barrie, Guelph, Kingston, Whitby. There's lots of municipalities where building is going on. And yeah, Mississauga has a lot to catch up with, but they're getting there. Is that by design? It's going to be up to you when you decide who the next Ontario Liberal leader is. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Some news last night. I think it happened around the supper hour. But in the fall follow up and fall out from the terrible story of um, this former principal uh, committing suicide, the principal in the TDSB system, uh, and and not just claims, but a judgment that there was bullying um, and uh, absolutely terrible characterizations made at an anti-racism seminar. There was DEI training uh, that this principal was part of. And again, this doesn't speak to some blanket conde- condemnation of DEI training. This is a little like saying, well, what do you think of healthcare?" And somebody might say it's great. But there's some nuance and layers to that. Oh, it sucks. Yeah, but there's some nuance and layers to that. There can be real benefits from DEI training. Not like this. And based on the audio tapes that exist that um, I, I haven't heard them, but somebody I know quite well has. Uh, this is there was no other judgment here. And there was a lot of uh, oomph behind um, the former high school principal, Richard uh, Bilkstow's lawsuit. But Stephen Lecce wants to get to the bottom of this. He wants an investigation. And I think on all sides, just because there are far more questions than answers, uh, this is absolutely necessary. I want to bring on Marcus Domenico. He's a Toronto Catholic District School Board trustee for Ward 2 in Etobicoke. Uh, it's great to have you back on, Marcus. You yourself, before the weekend, you didn't waste time uh, waiting on this one, said boards should be pausing um, utilizing this type of training uh, from this group specifically as well until we get more answers as to about what happened here. Is that right? Yeah. Good morning, Greg. It's it's great to be on the show. Yeah. My as soon as I saw this because I've had some some underlying concerns for a long time. I I, I wanted all DEI workshops from the Toronto Catholic District School Board paused until uh, a TDSB investigation happened in their own board. And I encourage the Minister uh, and the Ministry of Education to do a thorough review, and we do a thorough audit of our suppliers and the materials, because this, this situation is absolutely outrageous and shameful, and uh, we, need to, we need to make sure that we continue our progress and our work with our staff, but that it's done in a respectful manner. This, this seems to be very very uh disrespectful the way it was handled well and 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 yeah like like bullying by the definition of it now there's a lot of layers and a student may say i was bullied a teacher may say i was bullied and we need to take those accusations seriously but then it turns out oh there was just a disagreement but this seems to be the 
to the letter of the law what bullying is, so much so that the, you know, basically a, a WSIB board listened to the tapes, found out what had happened, had expert testimony and said, there's no question there should be a financial uh, compensation here. And that may have brought on the lawsuit. There's no question this this just went awry and we need to figure out how not to make it happen again. Well, just imagine that you're sitting in a workshop with 200 of your fellow colleagues, uh, that you're a longtime established educator, respected, involved in anti-racism, having worked in the States, worked in Canada. And then uh, some presenter says, oh, well, Canada is much more racist than the United States. Now, I think most of us would think, what? And then having the absolute audacity to lift your hand and say, I don't think so. I've done that and then to be crushed, and then to be re-crushed at the next session. Like, where were the people supporting him uh, in the board? Where was the director? Where was the superintendent who then posted a tweet, one of the superintendents of TDSB, basically thanking the presenter or, or congratulating her for doing this to an employee? Like, we don't treat employees this way. We want them to be involved in this kind of uh, anti-racism work, of course. But it's got to be done, uh, you know, in a fair manner. The irony of, of crushing someone because they dare to speak up. Yeah, it's 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 one of those scenarios where I think we all would would wish that somebody had stood up and say, you know what? Let's take the temperature down a little bit. I mean, the, the Kojo Institute's a guest of the TDSB. They are contracted to bring in uh, their, you know, their perspective, their expertise, their services. But that doesn't give you free reign to run roughshod over a person's reputation. And, and at a certain point in time, Marcus, someone needed to stay up and say, Let's take a break. Let's take the temperature down. If you and I were colleagues and we got into a heated discussion about maybe one of several things we might disagree on, someone might say to us, let's circle back on this. Let's break for a little bit. Let's let cooler heads prevail. Clearly, nobody well, stood up and did that here. Yeah, uh, that's that's my impression. Also, uh, interestingly, is that the uh, the principal, I believe he tried to de-escalate the situation, because he probably in his professional career has de-escalated a lot of situations, as our staff do. But he was met with further derision, apparently from what I've read, uh, just for that fact alone. In other words, if you don't recognize your problem, your problem, and it's a circle one can't get out of. So we need to have the proper training. I've asked that it be paused at Toronto Catholic, and I'm very, very encouraged that Minister Lecce has has made a public statement saying they're going to get to the bottom of this. And I think some very senior people are going to be very worried today and last night and on and on because this is going to come out. And I believe this is the tip of the iceberg uh, for the way some of staff members have been treated. So why would a group of professionals not put their hand up who are used to yeah. being advocates? Why? The answer has got to be they're afraid. Yeah. And I don't blame them for it. I don't blame because look what has happened. Well, and if this was the other way around, if a principal, if you brought in the Kojo Institute and a principal was berating them, I still think it's incumbent upon the TDSB to say, even though that's one of our own, you know, Bob, Fred, whomever, s Laura, settle down. Let's cool this room out a little bit. That's incumbent upon proper debate and discourse and even disagreement and even vocal disagreement. It happens again. It happens on, 
in your offices. It happens on this radio show. It happens in people's backyards. It happens all the time. But but there's a way to do it with some some form of civility. It didn't happen here. Well, it's called professionalism. Right. Uh, you're, you're either professional or you're not. If you're there to indoctrinate, that's not really professional. If you're there to present interesting, uh, sometimes controversial ideas, that's quite okay. But when you have a to and fro, or if you have a to and fro, by the way, you need to be able to handle that in a professional manner on both sides. A staff member shouldn't stand up and start stomping their feet and run around. That doesn't happen because you know what? They're professionals. What's going on here is you have an unregulated group of people that put a label on their door, and I, I'm not naming one specific place, but put a label on their door, and suddenly they're an authority. I've got to ask you, Greg, why? Like, yeah. if, if I go to my doctor, guess what? That doctor, she has a certificate on her wall saying, I've received the training, I'm a professional. Like, who are these people? Like, who are all these people running around saying, I'm going to have a workshop, which, you know, pays pretty well, by the way, and um, you're going to have to listen, and it's going to hurt, but you're going to have to listen and learn from me. Okay, it may hurt. That's true. But I don't know how we got a one-way conversation. Yeah, I don't know how we got to the point in, in our society and in our discourse where if I don't agree with everything you say, you tell me, you instruct of me, then that means not only do I not like your ideas – but now I don't like you. And now I have to tell you how much I don't like you. And now I have to tear strips off you. And I have no idea. I have no idea how we got there. I have no idea. The way to stop an argument is to vilify someone is to vilify their entire being in existence because you can't handle responding to their commentary. So when you do that, you're showing that your argument is weak, that you don't have the intellectual ability to go back and forth respectfully, but you must vilify that person. Now, you know this happens. I, w- I want to uh, e- emphasize this. When stories like this come up, you came on and we talked about the, the TDSB Mother's Day sign. You know people come up to you probably in the summer and you say, this is why I don't like school boards. This is why right. I can't trust school board trust. This is why it's gone out of control with the school boards and their influence on what happens in the classroom with my kid. And I know you'd make the case hey, not all school boards are created equally, but what's the usual response when someone's going on about school boards just having too much power and influence? Well, I mean, we do have a lot of influence because we have parents, children in our care, and we must be extremely careful about that and respectful. My mom used to say an interesting phrase, Greg. She used to say, no good deed goes unpunished. So here we have boards saying, look, we want to understand issues. It's not like there isn't racism in society and other issues. So how do we handle it? You know what? Let's have a workshop. At Toronto Catholic, we do it differently, frankly. We have a whole pre-workshop before the workshop. So there's reading materials and people are invited to dig into it deep. So there can be a conversation. But I want to make sure at Toronto Catholic that we just make sure we cross our T's, dot our I's, with the people we hire yeah. and the materials we present. Marcus, I got a blast. Thanks for your uh, insight on this. I know it won't be the last time we talk about it. I appreciate you coming on. Have a great day, Greg. Thanks. Marcus Domenico's a Toronto Catholic District School Board Trustee for War 2 in Etobicoke. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. 
So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. All right, our, uh, our in outs all about this. <laughs> Your love's better than ice cream. Oh. It's not that it's so slow in the summer that it, this is actually a new store. We're not just asking you if you like ice cream. <laughs> this is based on data. By the way, if you tell your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife that you'd rather like. Have like a, you know, destroy a liter and a half of chocolate ripple instead of make out with them or make love with them. It's a problem. Like that's not that's a Sarah McLaughlin song from fumbling towards ecstasy. But the person's love better be better than ice cream. Like that's a baseline, Gord. I mean, if I'm a man and so, and that's not a compliment to me, yeah. I want a better compliment than that. No, but ice cream is as good as it gets. So if your love is better than ice cream, it would be better than pizza. I'd rather I'd rather sit here and blast through a giant bowl of Neapolitan (laughs) than have your hands all over me, hubby. Like you can't say that. That's not right. (laughs) Anyway, um, ice cream is less utilized by Canadians, less consumed by Canadians. Stats Canada says the average Canadian consumes 4.5 liters of ice cream a year, but. 40 years ago, so much for thinking all of our habits are worse now than they used to be. They're not. 40 years ago, the average Canadian consumed 12 liters of ice cream a year. Sheba, one liter a month. I believe that. I I think that's, how would they measure that? I think that's incredibly high. Probably sales in the grocery store. Oh, that's how they would do it. Exactly. I'm like, (laughs) can people count in 1983? Like, I just sent you guys a photo of a pint of, uh, from Walmart, of, of chocolate ice cream. This thing's a liter and a half. And I'm not a depressive eater. Like, I don't eat, like, I'm not a compulsive or depressive eater. But I could, on a warm afternoon, like, with some with some with something on TV, I, I could demo that thing. Yes. I really could. And that's a liter and a half. Dangerous. So that's old. Canadians are only consuming three of those entire buckets of ice cream in a year. So our in-out is, do you consume more than four and a half liters of ice cream in a year? In if you do. Out if you don't. You can give us your random thoughts on ice cream and as well. And four and a half liters, let's be specific. That's Let's say that's like oh, about four tubs. Well, it, but it's three 1.5 liter tubs. Okay, so three, three... Three or four tubs, you're right. Yeah, but I mean, if somebody doesn't know how many liters are on their ice cream, I mean, I saw the picture. That's how I figured it out, so... Yeah. I mean, just Yeah, so if, if you consume more than you think, please let us know, in <laughs> or out. Um, who do you think consumes... Okay, I have a couple... I have some ice cream trivia for both I, I, of you. Big time, I'm ready. Okay, well, before we start, so 70% of women eat ice cream compared to 62% of men. It's a more popular I guess woman women, they do choose love uh, ice cream over over your love. Jeez. Okay, Canadian and the Canadian ice cream market, here's an interesting fact, has a to- total revenues of $754 million. So there's money to be made in ice cream. What's Canada's favorite ice cream? Gord, do you want to oh, give it a run? Uh, most popular flavor. Most popular flavor? I'm going to go with the plain old vanilla. Um, you can do so much more with vanilla. You can add whatever you want to it. You can't do that with I, chocolate I mint. Think butterscotch is too eclectic. Oh come on, Brady! I know it's that's what I mean. It's not butterscotch. <laughs> okay. I just told you what it was, and I, I didn't I didn't answer the chocolate. It's just plain chocolate. It is chocolate. Okay. Globally, it's vanilla. In Canada, it's chocolate. Interesting. What country sells the most ice cream in the world? France, Italy, China. Oh. Oh yeah, just more. And people. what's the top brand of ice cream globally? Um, globally, yes. There's one type. There's one brand. Brand. Yes. And if I say it, you'll know it. Uh, so that's with an M. Hagen Dazs. 
No. Starts with an M. Magendas. Magnum. Magnum. I don't know that brand. Yeah, Yeah, the Magnum bars you do. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Okay, and what ice cream flavors are only available in Canada? There's two, at least. Ketchup. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Chapman's. No, it's oh, like flavor. Sorry, flavor. Flavor? Yes, yeah, flavor. flavor. Oh. Uh, oh, I, I know this. You do. Um, Heavenly Hash? No. It's no not? No. no, no. I really thought that was right Think about, about that. Cottage. Cottage Country. Think about Muskoka. Think about Kortha. Cool. Kortha Lakes. Kortha Dairy. There's two. It, your kids have had this. They freaked out and said, I want to try this. And, uh, I don't know. I personally thought it was gross. Uh, but. It's not a sherbet of some moose kind. Moose Tracks. Is it? Oh, Moose Tracks is only Canadian? And Tiger Tail. Oh, I would never have said that about oh, tiger yeah, it's, tail. It's, Why? It's tigers really aren't indigenous to, uh, to, to <laughs> you don't wander around cottage country in Perry Sound and be like, look, look we tiger. could run into a tiger on a walk. You, that's never going to happen. Tiger and a bear. There might oh, be an know, orange just, dog, but that's it. tweeted, we have a, we have a kick-ass ice cream maker. Isn't that interesting? Have you guys ever made ice cream? I, ha- I haven't, but I've seen them in stores, uh, and they always—they're always at Pottery Barn. And you're like, why? we get—we've gotten those why? soccer ball gifts up for my kids' birthdays, where you yeah. kick the ball around and it makes the ice cream. Yeah. It actually works. Just go to the store well, and buy one and open it up. <laughs> the text line lighting up again. People care about the serious issues of the day. Ice cream. Do you consume more than four and a half liters a day? Tomorrow we'll ask you who you prefer, Ben or Jerry. Okay. Who's the real brains behind? <laughs> Is it Baskin or Robbins? 